This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. talking to you again. Likewise. Cool. So this week I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about something that's near and dear to both of our cardiovascular systems, which is a uh, cold water dousing in the in the Russian system. Um, so you've had a douse this morning, I take it? Yep, I did. Uh, it was today. This is uh, what October 27th, and it was like 35 degrees this morning. So this is really the first real douse of the season. For the benefit of people who haven't uh, come across it before or don't know what it is, what, what in your words is cold water dousing? Well, it's a five-gallon bucket of water poured slowly and consciously over my chest and head and whole body. Um, it's not – when I started doing it, it was just like take the bucket and empty it as quickly as I could and sort of – run away screaming and I, I posted that first one on Facebook and then you wrote a comment said, you know, try it twice as slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's, um, I, I was actually first introduced to it in, I think I want to say, let me say, I think it's 2008 at the, um, immersion camp, the Sistema immersion camp up in uh, Toronto or North of Toronto in Ontario, where they used to have it up at Ferry Lake, I believe was the old venue. They've got a new one for it next year in 2018, but um, so this is the six to seven day camp where um, Vladimir and Constantine typically, um, some years Michael's come over as well from, um, from Moscow to teach it, but usually it's Vladimir and Constantine. Um, and they take, you know, about 100 to 150 guys, close to 200 in the last couple, I think. And they stay in kind of cabins, almost like American summer camp style, but um, there's not much this summer about it. And you get free kind of nice meals a day, but you get up at six in the morning and at six or seven in the morning and you, you train for an hour, do exercises and breath work. And it's pretty chilly. Um, and then you get some breakfast then you go out and you train for three hours more and then you have lunch and then you train for a few hours more in the afternoon and then dinner. And then you go out again and you basically get to about 10 or 11 PM. You've been training in the dark and rolling around and then you face plant into these small American camp beds kind of in, in these uh, bunks and you crash out and then just kind of rinse, lather, repeat for six days and you're pretty exhausted. And I was astounded by um, how much the cold water immersion, and in that case it was actually immersion, we would just literally jump in the lake every morning. Um, and it was really cold. Um, but it, well, actually, now I wouldn't rate it as like all that cold. Um, but uh, back at the time, I thought it was really, really bracing, right? So we get up and do an hour of those exercises in the morning and then jump in the, um, jump in the lake. And actually... Brandon and I, uh, Brandon Sommerfeld, rest in peace. Uh, he died a few years back. But a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, and that's where I met him on, on one of these uh, at, at that immersion camp. We would actually get up. The first thing that we would do is get up and then go down to the lake and then just jump in there before we started the exercises. And then we would go in again because we didn't want to um, kind of <laughs> look like we were hesitating the second time around when there's two, 50 people watching. <laughs> so we'd do it. We'd get it over with the first thing in the morning. Um, and Constantine started to recommend it um, as a way of kind of cleansing the body and he kind of described some of the benefits that mostly against resistance against illness was one thing he was talking about that it temporarily raises your body temperature when you kind of get um that big kind of burst of cold water onto your body um which can kind of temporarily make it uncomfortable for the kind of bacteria and viruses that have evolved to happily live at your exact body temperature so um, and there's some kind of argument about how much of that is valid and whether the body temperature really does go up enough to make it significant more for long enough um but 
I can say that I've been dousing now for 10 years and, um, and I rarely get the kinds of colds and seasonal things that go around the place. And I've got two kids now who are just, you know, the kids are just vectors of disease that just swap viruses every day and when they're at school and things. And even when they come down with things, I very rarely do. Right? So the things that I've been ill with over the last couple of years have not been kind of easily little contracted kind of stuff like this, like meningitis. You know, <laughs> if I've had something, it's been the whole hog. But I very rarely come down with these small kind of colds and respiratory viruses and things. And I can definitely kind of attest to that so the, the resistance to illness thing was one aspect but um constantine also really recommended it for um kind of stress inoculation right that it's a, it's a little kind of flex for your nervous system just as if you want your muscles to grow you have to tense them and relax them he described dousing as one way of uh, flexing your nervous system and just getting it used to um being under pressure and along with the nervous system the cardiovascular system the there's localized kind of dilation of the blood vessels and constriction of the vessels to try and conserve heat <laughs> and then kind of flush it away again and all that kind of stuff. So it does all kinds of things for your body. And I've looked into it a little bit more deeply since. And, um, and there is quite a bit of research on cold water immersion in general, just kind of uh, cold showers or being in cold baths. Um, but to a lesser extent, just the Russian idea of taking the five-gallon bucket and, and, and tipping it over your head. So, um, so I found it pretty fascinating and useful. So one of my questions is about just that, the, the five-gallon bucket technique versus, you know, jumping in the lake and staying there or just, you know, what Wim Hof recommends, sort of the cold showers. What is it about the, the bucket that is, you know, different than, than those other methods? And I think both, both physiologically and I think also psychologically, it feels to me like there's a big difference. Yeah, I think um... – I think more than anything else, it's the psychological difference of the anticipation, right? Um, comparing cold water dousing with a bucket to jumping into a cold like lake or something like that, I don't think there's an enormous amount of difference between those two things because in both cases, when you have the bucket, right, you either have to run the water as cold as you can. And there's some different schools of thought about how to do this, right? Some people run the bucket of water and then just leave it out all night, especially in the winter. And they leave it to kind of freeze a little bit, crack the ice, always crack the ice, by the way, important safety tip. <laughs> you only make that mistake once. So. <laughs> so, and not, not with your forehead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ideally crack it with a fist or something. Yeah. yeah. Little ice pick or something before you uh, tip the bucket. Otherwise you get an iced Frisbee in the head first thing in the morning. That's not very healthy for anybody. Um, but yeah, they'll leave it out overnight so that it's nice and cold, crack the ice, and then tip it over your head. Um, Vladimir and Constantine, actually, I've, I've never heard them necessarily recommending that. That They normally say, just run the water as cold as it's coming out of the ground that day, right? And usually, relative to the ambient temperature of that time of year, it's pretty cold anyway. And like, in the winter, the water, you know, the faucet barely runs, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of spurting out of there and like really going for it. Um, it. When you're doing that cold water douse with the bucket, you're waiting right, for the bucket to fill, and you're watching and you're anticipating just how terrible it's going to be the entire time, right? So your nervous system is kind of getting fired up for it that way. Um, and maybe we can come back to some of the differences in the ways that in Systema and maybe in Wim Hof method, I've done a little bit of Wim Hof. Um, I did a course um, with two guys that teach out in Asheville on the Wim Hof kind of a version of this. Um, with the Systema version, at least, or the Russian system, you just literally just watch the bucket filling up. And then when it gets to the top, you turn it off. You do not hesitate. You don't really prepare very much. You just pick the bucket up and then you pour it very slowly from chest to face to top of the head to back of the neck. And Constantine really kind of reiterated that you want to hit places where there are lots of uh, heat sensors like thermoreceptors within the body, right? And all sides of the neck and the front of the chest. So very sensitive places, right? And this way, and you want to kind of expose them that way. Um, but while you're waiting for that anticipation, it's really 
it's difficult, right? Yeah, you don't want to do it. And even before then, you don't even want to go outside. You have this option of like not going outside. But once you have to force yourself to go outside and then you force yourself to fill the bucket and it's kind of uncomfortable and it's weird and you have to stand outside either naked or with your you know, swimming shorts on, depending on how considerate you're being of your neighbors. <laughs> I used to have a like a in Raleigh when I started doing this 10 years ago, um, I had a, kind of had a back garden, but it's adjoining two other people on either side. And one was a um, maybe 23-year-old law student who was local and on the other side was kind of a like a 50-year-old, a 55-year-old divorcee who moved down here from Pittsburgh. And, and a couple of times I'd be out in the morning and I'd just go and do it nude. I'm like, yeah, it's my garden. I don't care. And if they come out there at six in the morning, then they're going to know what they're going to see. Right? <laughs> and uh, and sometimes the uh, college student came out and went, oh, oh, my God, I'm sorry. And she would turn around and run back indoors again. Um, but the um, – the fifth-year-old divorcee was more of a curtain twitcher. She was like, ooh, he's up again. <laughs> so, so I think it gave some good entertainment for the people in my neighborhood anyway. Um, but anyway. Yeah, yeah and uh, you're, you're not impressing anybody with that cold water. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Even if you were impressive for five minutes earlier, you're no longer impressive. Myself. Definitely. So, um, but regardless, uh, sorry, I digress. Uh, so you have to really kind of psych yourself up to the whole experience of it because you could just as easily not get undressed and not go outside and kind of walk out on the, on the ground and on the gravel and all that kind of stuff and fill up the bucket. It's a whole experience. It's a whole thing you've got to get yourself ready to do. And then you tip the bucket of water over your head. Whereas with a shower, a cold shower, you just kind of, with Wim Hof, you do some preparation, you do some other stuff like that, right? And you just, you turn, the, you turn the thing on and you get in and you have the option at any time to turn it off. Right. If it's uncomfortable, you have a get out clause at any point. Right. So there's that little kind of safety net that you don't get with a bucket. Right. Once the bucket is in motion, that's it. It's, you're not going to put half of the water back down again. Probably it's, that's just kind of happening now. And I think also the ethos is slightly different because with um, it's, it's it's a much smaller volume of water or it takes longer to get the same volume of water and cold like, over your body. It takes much longer for your body temperature to change. It's more gradual when you get in the cold shower. It feels abrupt but it's nothing like as abrupt as a bucket douse as you can probably attest right um the idea with wim hof is to kind of endure that for a while right is to try and, and he does a bunch of preparatory preparatory breathing and breath work to try and get you to kind of generate heat um from like what's called thermogenesis from inside the body first and prepare it for this onslaught of cold and then you get in there and you see how long you can stand it whether it's two minutes or five minutes or ten minutes or you know and then you progress to whole baths full of ice and you get in those and so it's kind of a progressive kind of um attenuation to the, the stimulus of cold and your cardiovascular system gets used to it and your endocrine system gets used to it. Um, and it's about that kind of long-term training of doing that. The douse isn't really like that. It's just about every single day you do one thing. It's the same thing. And it's just about the discipline of actually getting up and doing it more than anything else. I think so there's a different kind of qualitative difference with it as, as to the difference between kind of plunge pooling, like jumping into a lake or into a freezing pool or something like that and cold water dousing with a bucket. I don't think it's all that different, except that um, obviously your whole body gets immersed in, in the latter case, and you probably won't stay in there for very long <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's probably the bucket and the jumping into the lake are more comparable um, than the the shower over time. So what what I've discovered, and I've I've done this all different ways, sort of playing with my mind, where watching the bucket or starting to fill up the bucket and then going and doing a few pull ups and trying to take my mind off it, mm. or filling up the bucket. Like I'll come back from a run, I'll feel pretty hot. Like I don't want to douse immediately after being hot, so I'll fill up the bucket and then go inside and get undressed and get the towel. Um, and I, I do find that, like there, there's a certain um, there's a certain point where I know I'm going to do it. 
where it just has this this inevitability like i've com- i've pre-committed and it's very different than when than before that moment where there's all these doubts and get out of jail clauses um like this morning um i did a 5 mile run and i was sure from the very beginning that i was going to douse because it's really cold out and you know it wasn't going to get much worse and just for like 3 miles of the run I was just like, I don't want to finish this run because I know what's at the end of it. And it feels like that, like that has been really profound for me to, to be able to deal with things that have nothing to do with cold water, just like stuff that's going to happen in life or stuff that may happen in life. But this has been really useful practice for just, you know, taking things as they come. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably the main benefit and and one of the main reasons i keep doing it can i ask why did you i mean apart from the fact that you started coming to systema classes and maybe i recommended it or something like that what was your main motivation for starting dowsing well you'd been recommending it for a long time before i ever did it because i was certain that i was the sort of person who wouldn't do it right like that was very very clear like i don't do cold water i don't like going swimming in pools that are under 90 degrees like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm the world's biggest water wimp and cold wimp. So what you were saying was like relevant to other people, but not relevant to me. Um, when I started running and training for ultra running, I began to be curious about what limits were completely self-imposed. Um, and I think, I think it's, you know, sort of two or three years of systema training where, you know, getting punched in the face or grappled and, and being in pain and having five people sit on my chest and not being able to breathe, like all these really horrible experiences that I lived through and looked back upon with fondness. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I survived that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it really was a question of, you know, how much of me is, um, is, is based on these old beliefs and and what possibilities exist outside of them. And I think the dowsing has been the single biggest thing for me in terms of, I can reinvent myself. I'm not, I'm not a prisoner of my conditioning. Right. So it's it's taking that kind of executive control over your body, right? The the terrified emotional animal of your body, which doesn't want to do things that are uncomfortable was kind of taking precedence to an extent before. And now you think, well, this is, at least one place in which I can say there was a before and after, right? And now I'm making this daily decision to override this comfort reflex, this, this tendency to avoid discomfort, uh, and you're actually embracing it, right? You're like once a day at least. And and I think it's really good to do it first thing in the morning. Um, it's almost like that eat the frog principle, right? If you have to eat a whole frog, do it first. <laughs> Don't eat it piece by piece and or put it off. Just eat it right away, and then you'll never do anything as terrible for the whole day afterwards, right? It's right. that kind of thing. Like, I think if you do it first thing in the morning, you're like, well, the rest of the day might suck. Something terrible might happen, but nothing probably will be as bad as that cold shock that I got this morning, at least in the middle of the winter anyway. Yeah, for me, I'm, I think, to be honest, I started it just because I was – on the immersion camp and everybody was doing it and I was jumping in the lake. And what I noticed was that I've always just been a terrible morning person. I'm not one of these people that jumps up and um, my, my father always used to get up in the morning and he works on the building site. So it's probably a lot of conditioning and all that kind of stuff. And he would get up and then make tea 
And then he would inadvertently wake up the whole house because he would stir his tea after putting like four, five sugars in it and then ring it like a bell, like, and everybody in the house would be like, ah. But I'd pull the covers back over my head and try and sleep for as long as possible and then get up and get ready for school and, you know, in the last possible minute getting on the bus or riding the bike to school or whatever it was. Um, so I've always been a terrible morning person and that proceeded, proceeded all the way through my teenage years, when actually most teenagers for other metabolic reasons to do with circadian rhythms and stuff don't well in the morning stage it's not programmed to get up like that but it went all the way through college and all the way through my like working life post-college living in japan for two years where everybody you know, being on time and being early is a really big deal i still managed to find ways of staying in bed and being late <laughs> through two years of working there earning the ire it's only because i worked really hard that i kind of made up for that but i was consistently five ten minutes late every day which didn't go over well with japanese colleagues and all that kind of stuff right um, not colleagues, the boss mostly. Um, and then coming back from that, working at the Science Museum in London, I would get up and I had an hour and a half commute on the train and buses and an underground and I don't know, rickshaw. There was a whole bunch of different things I had to take to get from where I lived to where uh, I worked in London. And, uh, and I would cause miss the bus, miss the tram, get to work like you know 20 minutes late. And this was you know really, really um, not great. But it was just all a result of just my refusal to get going in the morning. I just could not bring myself to do it, right? And that, that lasted all the way through my life um, until 2008 when I did that immersion camp. And then I just found this magic potion. It's not an alarm. It's not like anything else. You tip five gallons of cold water over your head and bingo, you're awake. You're not going back to sleep again. Right? And, and you really have to, what I found was, is that if you procrastinate, if you're like, I'm going to get up, you know, put the kettle on first. So there's a cup of tea waiting for me and do, do some push-ups, do some other things first. I find that that increases the likelihood that I might put it off or something. Not that I have. I haven't really missed a day in like 10 years of doing this, right? Um, but for my part, at least, I've, I've just found the benefit of getting the first thing that I do is literally I wake up and then I maybe do a little bit of breath work and tense and relax my muscles just to kind of get my body moving. And then the first thing I do is go outside and douse and then everything else follows, like, you know, um, getting ready, getting clean, getting the kids ready for school, all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's, um, there's, a, there's a discipline to that, right? It's a new discipline you've created, which is unbreakable. And even when you wake up and you're like, oh man, no. If you know that's the first thing you're going to do, then your brain starts to anticipate that and get you ready. And now I can get up in the mornings and now I can function that way. So for me, it started that way, the ability to wake myself up. And for a couple of years, I actually did it twice a day. And maybe we can get into this in a minute. There's different schools of thought into how you can use dowsing. Some people use one bucket. Some people do several consecutive buckets, right? One after the other. And um, some people douse once a day um, in the morning. Some people once a day in the evening. Some people twice a day. I used to do it first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I realized I just didn't need the night one, that I slept like a rock, like the dead anyway. I, just, I don't even remember dreams. I'm just oblivion and I wake up right <laughs> that whole time. So I didn't need the night one. But um, the morning one I've kept all the way through as a ritual. So the first two years did it twice a day, last eight years, just once a day in the mornings. Um, but I think that just having that, um, that discipline and that thing that kind of doesn't change starts to kind of set you up for different things. And I noticed the turning point very, very soon after I came back from the immersion camp and I've been dousing for maybe like a, a few months or something. Um, and I had a traffic incident where I was um, driving fairly fast, like, you know, on a decent speed limit road, all that kind of stuff. And something pulled out and somebody pulled out of a side road. It just didn't look, just pulled into traffic that was doing a good 50 mile an hour clip. Um, and I wove around it. I just kind of steered around it with a slight break. Mostly I didn't even touch the brake actually. I just, um, so it wasn't a panic, stamp the brake, try and stop. I just kind of did a weave, a slalom around this car and then kept going. And then I was about, you know, probably about 
300 meters down the road and the car was still going. And I, it occurred to me, I'm like, wow, that was ridiculous. That could have been really dangerous. But it was a thought that I was having, but my, my body wasn't having it. My heart rate wasn't going, do, 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 do. and I wasn't terrified like that could have killed me. And I think every other time something like that's happened on the road where you have a near miss, the first thing that happens is my heart rate, my heart will jump into my mouth and I just feel my blood pressure thumping. And then it takes a good, like, you know, few minutes to calm down after that. That cortisol hits, the adrenaline hits, and it takes a long time to tail off. But that didn't even fire up. I just weaved around this car and I'm like, that was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. I just adapted to that thing. And I, I honestly attribute that to the dousing. It's just that yeah, daily flex of the nervous system meant that I could endure a, a, a short, sharp flex of the nervous system when that scared me. But it did scare me, but like conceptually, you know, like I knew I was scared, but my body wasn't reacting the same way. And I was like, wow, this is, this is something different. And, and I think I've kept at it for that and other reasons, what it does for you psychologically from day to day. I think I've, I've experienced the same thing. And I, I started dousing at the same time as I started long distance running. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a, a control condition, mm-hmm. um, but I'm certainly feeling a lot less on edge, mm-hmm. a lot less judgmental about things. A lot of things that would have really upset me mm-hmm. sort of roll off my back more now. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it's because I'm, sort of, you know, conceptually wiser. Yeah. I do, th- I do think that it's a, uh, it's a nervous system response because it's not something that I'm choosing or not choosing. Yeah. Um, to respond to two other things you said, one, one is that like when I go run and I, um, and I do the same run like every day for a couple of weeks, like a six mile run at a nine minute pace, I acclimate to it. It just, even though it's the same thing, it gets easier and easier and easier. But when I douse, I've never acclimated. I've never gotten to the point where, okay, you know, this is, it's, it's like every day, it's like the heavy lifting psychologically to get me to do it. Yeah. And I think actually that's an interesting comment because I think coming back to the difference between cold water dousing with a bucket and the volume of water all at once and the shower thing, in the shower inside your house, right, the ambient temperature is more or less the same. You have air conditioning or climate control and it stays more or less the same. And then the temperature of your shower, like you moderate that to be about as cold as it can go or like a little bit wherever it's going to be. So I think it's less variable. Like the maybe the water temperature will be a bit colder at certain times of year coming through the pipes, obviously. But the temperature inside your house is more or less the same. So you kind of get used to the difference between those two things. And then the only thing that you vary is the length of time that you spend in the shower. And that's how it works with the Wim Hof, at least when you're beginning a Wim Hof, right? Now you spend 30 seconds, two minutes, 10 minutes, and that's the variable. But I think with the dousing, um, you know, I'm, this is, I have no, no data to back this up. I think part of the reason why you never acclimate is because it's never quite the same. Every day you go outside and the air temperature is slightly different, right? It's slightly different from the day before. It's not like we have perfect seasons where it's the same temperature for like three months. I mean, even here in North Carolina last week, it was, I was outside in the morning and it felt sticky and I was overjoyed to tip five gallons of bucket of water over cold water over my head. I, I can't stand the summers in North Carolina. I really like, I have trouble. I'm from a cold place, right? I grew up in England and then and went to university in Scotland. I, I love the cold. I'm, I'm happy with the cold for the most part. Um, so it felt like a relief last week. And then five days later in the same season, it's, um, it's, it's really cold and it feels like the middle of winter already, right? So it's, um, and it goes back, it goes up and down. It doesn't give you a chance to adapt from day to day, I don't think. There's a general adaptation as you move through the seasons. Um, but it's this it still goes up and down like the stock market, right? The temperature generally goes down, but it's, it's waving up and down in between. So I think it makes it harder for your body to anticipate how to deal with it. Whereas with running, it's adapting to a very specific distance, right? Over time, especially if you're running the same trail on the same 
you know, terrain. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the thing that I, I have found most profound about it is that I can feel, the, like this morning, it was really, really cold, like like knives cold. And the, the weird thing for me is that I it feels just as bad as it ever did, as it did the first day, as it did those years when I was, um, you know, averse to it. But somehow it doesn't, I, I, I feel the physical sensations that are extremely unpleasant, but I don't suffer anymore. And it's, it's like my nervous system, it was, it was like, almost like it was a decision. Mm. Like I had, I had, it, it, there's the acclim- acclimation to a certain extent, but, but after doing it for a few times and having the experience of it, it was like I was allowed to make a decision that this wasn't terrible. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because there's a couple of other benefits that have been noted to cold water therapy in general, right? And well, now athletes in the NFL and NBA and everything are spending like tens of thousands, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands per year to get their own cryotherapy units where they go really, you know, it's like a deep freeze and it just basically does like super chilled steam, right? Uh, not steam, like, you know, cold vape, water vapor basically, right? Um, and that goes way down. Um, but then they only do it for like seconds, you know. So it's it's kind of it's the same kind of idea. It's like a it's a quick cold immersion. They don't spend a long time in those things, right? Um, but I say you can get the same kind of effect from you know a bucket from Walmart for five dollars and some water from your tap. You don't think you have to spend all this money to get the same thing. It's just the decision to go and do it. Um, but it, I think it's being used and it's being become more popular in sports. And this is not a new thing. It goes you know back to at least the seventies or eighties and, and pre Soviet Russia and stuff like that. Um, and more recently as well, and like Olympians here in the States as well have been using cold baths and stuff like that in between um, runs and in between um, sessions that they have as well. Um, it's been shown to have a, a marked uptick generally on performance and also on kind of general body awareness and um, that it kind of brings you into your body and just helps you to kind of understand what your body is doing. Um, and I think what you're describing in a sense is this, it's, it's a way of training your body or, or training your mind also to separate out the sensation of discomfort from the idea of suffering in your head, right? Because for a lot of people, they're one and the same. It's like, I'm feeling this thing, therefore I am this thing, right? I'm cold and it hurts, therefore I'm hurting and that kind of stuff, right? Whereas, um, you know, Vladimir likes to say, you know, or Constantine rather likes to say, pain is information. You can do what you want with it, right? And when we do the massage work, sometimes that's very challenging and it can be what you would clean is painful. And it's the same kind of thing. Like maybe that never becomes entirely pleasant either. But over time you're like, well, this is doing me good. And you can separate out that sensation that's shooting up your leg when somebody's stepping on your calves, right? With, from what's actually happening. You're not like, oh, I just can't stand it. It's pain. I hate it. I have to tense up and stop what I'm doing. And instead you interpret it in a different way. And you're like, that's information. I get it. I have 200 pounds on my leg, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's helping to disperse the tissues, to break up adhesions between the fascial bags and, and in the long term, this is going to do me good, make me a better runner, make me a better system of practitioner, wherever it's going to be. And I think the same thing is true of dousing, but it's just a very brutal and immediate way of doing that, right? It separates out the idea of the sensation of feeling cold and feeling like stimulated, and even to the point where cortisol starts to fire a little bit from the suffering that we tend to associate with that, right? So it helps us to see the emotion as an object, as something that's fleeting. It comes in and it goes out again, right? Suffering doesn't have to last unless we hold on to it. If we want to, we can hold on to it, but we don't have to, right? So I think it'd be helpful if you could sort of talk people through like the instructions, just like the very, very basics of, you know, like thinking, breathing, 
um, like every, everything you you think somebody should should consider as they're going through their their first or their hundredth or their ten thousandth DAOs. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, this is just an accumulation of things that I've got from various sources. So I'll, I'll describe the first methodology that I got from Constantine, and then I'll describe a, a renovation on that that Vladimir once described to me. And then maybe I'll describe um, what I've learned through Wim Hof method. Um, and then people can try all three and then sort of see what works for them a lot of the time. Um, so Constantine's original instruction was literally go outside, um, bare feet, make sure your feet are in contact with the earth, right? It's about um, in the Russian health system, it's part it's, it's about being part of nature as well as just like the cold water. So you can do it in your shower, but it's not the same. It's, it's really not quite the same. So if you can, then you have the, opp- the opportunity, go outside and put your bare feet on the earth when you do this, right? Um, so you could be naked or you could be wearing a pair of swim shorts, whatever your neighborhood deems legal. <laughs> um, so you go outside and then you fill up a bucket with water as cold as it will come out of the faucet, the outdoor faucet or tap that you have, right? You watch it fill up. You turn off the tap, you pick up the bucket, um, holding the handle of the bucket, maybe with your left hand, and then the underside of the bucket closest to you with your other hand. Lift it up carefully because um, five gallons of water can be heavier than you think it is, right? It really isn't a big bucket. It's a big painter's bucket, right? It's a big size. Um, Lift it up kind of to chest level and then um, lift it up a little bit higher so it's kind of overhead but not right the way over your head. You can still see it in front of you. And then you tip up by lifting your back hand, right? You keep hold of the hand with your left hand or for me, right? And then my right hand, my dominant hand, I will tip up. And then the water starts to come very slowly and it just pours out, hits you in the chest. And then you just keep it at that slow, steady pour going over your face, over your forehead, over the top of your head, crown of your head, and then slightly kind of incline your head forwards and try and get plenty onto the back of your neck as well and between the shoulder blades. And by that point, the bucket should be empty. And then you put the bucket down and then you just take a breath and then you go on about your life. Um, but the emphasis on that one is do it slowly and try not to brace yourself or tense yourself as you do it. Like don't prepare and tense your body or don't flinch as the water goes over. See if you can keep your shoulders, your neck relaxed and just experience the whole thing. Just accept it. Right. So Constantine's Constantine has this actually in Sistema generally has this emphasis on allowing and observing, right? If you're wrestling with somebody, if you're fighting with somebody that takes some time to allow and observe and accept the situation and then work. And to me, that seems like a little microcosm of allowing and observing for me, right? You're just observing your response and you try and relax as much as you can so that you can do that. You don't try and get it over with. You don't try and do it quickly and move on. You just do this slow kind of thing. Um, Vladimir said the same thing. Um, He said, yeah, you you just fill up a bucket, you watch it fill up. If you want to, you can leave it outside all night in the winter and then crack the ice and then then do it. Um, But he added this, um, this aspect of kind of a post behavior, right? So you do that, you lift up the bucket. And he said, while the bucket is filling, you can, you know, you can pray or you can kind of meditate or you can do whatever you want um, feels calmed you down, right? So that you're ready for it. And then when you lift the bucket up, you pour it over your head. And then afterwards you tense your whole body a little bit like the way we do in class when we're lying down at the beginning of class. So everything from the feet up through the legs, chest, hands into a wave this way and tense as hard as you can after you've done the douse. And then exhale and then release all of the tension and all of the sensation in your body through your feet as if it's going down through your feet and into the ground. Um, and Vladimir has posted videos before or, or posted pictures before about how he does this up in Canada uh, in the winter months. And I've seen other people do it too. And I've actually done it as well. When it snows and you do this, it's very, very interesting. If you, if you focus on this technique and you tense and then exhale and release all of this emotion or energy or whatever you want to call it at the end of the douse, 
you get this localized melting of like around your footprints. It just goes as if like somebody has taken a blowtorch to the area underneath your feet and it just removes all of the snow and and stuff around your feet in a way that it doesn't, if you just tip the bucket over, I cannot back this up with any of the science or what's happening with it or anything like that, but it's a very, very interesting phenomenon. Um, And, you know, people have told me about how you do it in deep snow, like these footprints can go very deep. You can melt all the way down through and stuff like that. So try this, see what, see how it works for you. But I tend to do that now. I do the, Tense up and then release and, uh, and relax and let everything come down. But afterwards, not during the douse, after you've done it, right? So as you process the emotion, you dump it through, and it's very, very calming. It at least kind of gets the excess tension out of your body. So that's the first two. Um, the third one, and I think Brian King in a, up in a Washington uh, once described this to me, is, is when you do the multiple bucket douse, right? So you fill up um, three buckets, and you fill them all up um, before you even start, and then you... T- Lift the first one, tip that over your head, put it down, take a breath, calmly pick up the second bucket, just in a, like a production line, right? You don't stop. You do three. And it's and I have to admit, I've never really done this. So I've done two in a row, I think, at Brand's house once, and it didn't feel significantly different to me. Like after I'd done the first one, the second one felt slightly warm, right? Um, but it's people say that there's different benefits that you get from doing multiple buckets. Um, I kind of bounce that out with water conservation. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of my thing as well, water pills. Um, so you can do the multiple bucket method. So these are all the methods that I've heard of um, within Systema that have been described to me by Constantine, Vladimir, other people that I've come across. I've not really heard many variations on that. Um, but there's definitely been an emphasis on make sure that you do it outside, that it's not quite the same if you do it in the shower, right? If you're like, eh, I'm going to do the douse today, but I'll just fill a bucket in my bath and then stand in the shower and do it. I'm going to get my feet mucky, stuff like that. I, I have to admit, I've done that a couple of times, and then it's just been very unsatisfying. So I've gone back to doing the outside all the time, right? So that's kind of what works for me. Um, now, you can do it in the mornings, and that will help you wake up. Um, when you do the douse at night, it will actually kind of clear your mind. It will stop this monkey mind effect where you're kind of ruminating on things that you could be doing tomorrow and things that are left unfinished today. Um, the kind of stuff that you might need a 20 minute headspace app or something to meditate your way out of. Right. I found that it completely just removes that. And I think there's a, a very obvious reason. Um, it's that when you tip the water over your head, your body attempts to conserve heat. So it shunts all the body or all, all the, uh, the blood back from your head and your limbs back towards the core of your body to conserve core temperature. So your brain literally isn't getting enough as much blood pressure as it was before. And it just kind of conserves and shuts down a little bit. It's like, and it just blanks you out entirely and you just go into no mind state. Right. And this is excellent. If you have trouble getting to sleep and it might seem counterintuitive that if you're having trouble sleeping, you should tip cold water over your head. Um, But it works phenomenally well. And this is what made my wife an advocate of dousing somebody else who's She's very slight. She's very petite. She hasn't got a lot of meat <laughs> on her bones. So, and she's always hated being cold. You know, she's always one, you know, we'll battle over the thermostat in the house, right? I like it colder and she'll like, you know, crank up the heat and all that kind of stuff. But she um, actually only became an advocate when she, with our first child, after she'd weaned him from breastfeeding, she was still waking up three or four times a night as if he was needing to breastfeed, but she, he didn't. So she was just waking up multiple times and couldn't sleep through the night and then became kind of something of an insomniac. And then she went to, the doctors about it and they prescribed sleep medicine that just made her feel horrible. You know, it would work, but then she'd feel groggy the whole next day. She tried all kinds of different things, sleep masks and you know, whale noises and all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, but nothing was really working and she would just get the rage in the night and thumping the pillow, not being able to get back to bed. And the whole time I'm very helpfully and constructively whispering, well, you could just do the bucket of water. She's like, Shut up. I know the bucket of you and your stupid Russian marshal. <laughs> right. So th- this went on for a while. And then eventually she got up once in the middle of the night. I just heard her kind of cursing. She's like, Damn, stupid. And I heard her filling the bucket and she's like, oh, I hate it. It's just stupid. She filled the whole thing and then just heard this sploof. 
And then she came back into bed and, uh, and fell asleep. And in the morning, I'm like, so it worked. She's like, yes, it worked. <laughs> so she's the most reluctant adoptee of it. And then the next night, she tried to sleep without it and then fumbled the whole night and really didn't like it. And now she pretty almost once a night, she'll do it. And actually, she's with our second child, interestingly, now. She's getting to the point where she can put herself back to sleep again. And she does a lot better at that. Um, but once, maybe once or twice a week. And you'd have to ask her to confirm this because often I just sleep through the whole thing. <laughs> but um, once or twice a week, she just has genuine trouble getting back to sleep again. And she will always go back to the, the douse bucket then at night. She'll do it. So she won't do it in the mornings um, um, or maybe doesn't feel like she needs to in the morning. She gets up anyway. Um, but she does it at night every night. And I do it in the morning every night. And, and so, again, you can do one or both of those, morning, evening, or both. So that's the Systema um, dousing methodology. Any Does that kind of make sense or is anything yeah. missing from that from you? That's fine. Cool. Okay, so the Wim Hof method, um, and again, I'm not a, an instructor of Wim Hof method. Uh, I've trained under two instructors out in Asheville, North Carolina, and did kind of like a like a weekend course out in the wilderness where they would do this. Um, we didn't have house buckets. We just went down to Limville Gorge and the river that went through it. It was very, very cold. Um, and then we'd immerse ourselves in that, and that was the douse, right? You're going up to your neck, and like a cold bath, and then come out again. And advocates of Wim Hof Method who don't have a local handy freezing lake or river will typically keep like a chest freezer in their back garden, right? And literally that you would keep meat in or something. And then they'll keep that full of water, and they'll put a little bit of bromine in it and stuff like you do with a hot tub <laughs> to stop the bacteria and the skin cells and stuff. That If you do multiple you know, things of it once a week or something, you have to change the water or treat it in some way. Um, so I'm not sure how I feel about that, like the chemical part of it and that sort of stuff, as the hippie in me doesn't like that idea. But um, but they'll keep that and they'll keep it very, very cold. And then they do a bunch of preparation and then they go into this extremely cold water that's um, very, very cold, probably colder than you're going to get out of your tap. Um, and then they do it for short periods of time and then they, they extend it over time. And in the Wim Hof method, you um, you begin with rounds of breathing and breath holding. Right, So you'll uh, inhale, exhale very fast, like, like burst breathing that we do. So it's... <laughs> And you'll take 30, 40, maybe 50 breaths that way with an emphasis on the inhale and you keep going and you're literally hyperventilating and you get kind of, you feel hypoxic, right? Your head starts to feel like it's a bit swollen and you'll feel warm in the face and the back of the neck. At that point, you think you're probably ready for a breath hold and then you inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale most of the way out and then hold on the exhale and then you basically hold it as long as you can. And then when you feel like you need to inhale, you take one big inhale, hold it at the top of the inhale, and then you do, uh, you tense a little bit. You tense the body and relax the body um, while you're in that position, right? If you're standing, sometimes you can do standing breath holes. They tend to kind of tense the shoulder blades together and then kind of pinch the back of the neck together as if you're kind of trying to turtle your neck into your body. Um, and in their methodology, they say this helps encourage the uh, formation of brown adipose tissue, which is... Um, heat generating adipose tissue or fat tissue, which tends to accumulate between the shoulder blades and at the back of the neck and in places where we're uh, poorly insulated and stuff like that. Right. Um, so they have a specific methodology to try and encourage that. And they think that tensing that area is going to bring that up. So you tense that and then you relax whoo, this way. And then you do another set of breathing. Whoo, 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 whoo. You do it for a while. You hold your breath and then you inhale at the end of the breath hold. You hold that for maybe 10, 15 seconds at the end of that long extended exhale. So to, to clarify, you do lots of burst breathing, like 30 cycles, 40 cycles in and out. Then a exhale, you hold that for as long as you can. And then you do one inhale and then immediately hold that for 15 seconds, during which time you can tense and relax. And then you breathe out and then you repeat the cycle. And you do that maybe three, four times, three or four cycles of that. 
And then before you get into the shower or into your river or wherever it is, then they have this emphasis on kind of trying to create some heat in the body. And one of the ways that they do it is they kind of drop into a kind of a horse stance um, where you split, split the feet apart, almost like a sumo squat or something. And you squat about a third of the way down um, so that your quads kind of feel engaged and they're kind of burning a little bit. Right. And then you do this kind of swimming motion with your hands where you kind of push one hand out while the other one draws back to your ribs. And then you push the other one out again, almost like you're trying to kind of push things away from you. And then you breathe as you do cycles of that. So pushing and pulling the hands, staying in the squat. And you do that for a good minute. Um, the legs start to burn a little bit. And then you stand up, inhale, tense your muscles, um, hold onto that inhale for a little bit. And then you go back to two more, two or three more cycles. And in their methodology, they're like, well, your legs start to get kind of hot. Um, your legs start to kind of feel, um, the muscles actually start to get warm on the inside, right? As you start to kind of keep them under tension that way. Um, and then you start to draw that heat into your stomach and into your abdomen where it's really going to be needed. And so you get this kind of thermogenesis happening and this sensation of heat from the inside of the belly so that your body doesn't feel the need to shut down so much, right? It's already warm before you get in. And then when you get into the water, there's an interesting effect. It feels like it's already warm. It feels like you have a little heat shield around your body. And you get in the shower and it's freezing, right? Or you get in the cold water in the Bill Gorge or wherever it is. And you're like, weird. This is not as cold as I thought it was going to be, right? And then probably about 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, this is every bit as cold as I thought it was going to be, right? This little heat shield seems to disappear, and then you feel very, very cold. And then if you stay in there, and I can speak to my experience, at least um, in Linville Gorge, being in the cold up to your neck, you stay in there and you feel like it's going to be terrible. You don't do any special breathing exercise or tense or anything. You just allow and observe, right, at this point in the Wim Hof Method. And you just kind of allow your um, body to kind of adapt to it a little bit. And you breathe normally, and then eventually you start to feel this sensation almost like a candle or a little flame inside your abdomen, which spreads from your abdomen up through your chest and into your shoulders and into your neck. And then all of a sudden, two minutes into this terrible freezing experience, you start to feel warm, and you're like, I could hang out in here for like 10 minutes. I'm fine. Um, and apparently this is the point where you have to not get too cocky because <laughs> <laughs> you do get warm, but there's a the point of diminishing returns, and you can go beyond it and then get difficult. And then here's another thing. After they get out of the cold uh, immersion, wherever it is, whether it's the shower or whether it's the um, dipping into a whole pool or a river, then you do a couple more cycles of this squatted breathing, <sighs> pushing and kind of pulling with your hands and breathing very, very hard. So they have like this kind of wind down as well, where you like you make sure that your your breathing's back to normal and that you warm yourself up, and then you dry yourself off and get warm again afterwards. So two quite different methodologies, I think. One of them involves a lot of preparation physically and cycles of breath holding and trying to get your body to generate heat in anticipation of the cold, right? And then you do the thing and you relax while that's happening. And then when you get out, you kind of tail yourself off again, almost like a cool down if you were exercising, right? Um, or a warm up, I guess, in this case, right? <laughs> the other way around. Um, so, and that's how the kind of Wim Hof thing works. And then you extend that over time. And that's certainly proven like to work. Um, there's scientific studies based on people that have gone through his programs with no prior training who increase performance, increase pain, pain tolerance, increase all, all kinds of different things. Um, so that certainly works, um, but it's different, I think, to the systemic methodology, which is more about just psychologically, just do it. <laughs> don't prepare, don't do a whole bunch of stuff, just fill the bucket and do it. And that's the discipline more than anything else, right? So, um, and, yeah, and you can tie it to other things. There's spiritual practices that go along with fasting and, and, and bathing and dousing and all that kind of stuff as well. But I'm no expert on those, so probably have to get somebody more learned than I am. <laughs> Maybe Vladimir can suggest somebody that I can talk to about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking about when in the health coaching I do is is how to help people take small steps t 
towards things. Like, you know, if you, if you want to run a marathon, you start by walking a block. Um, but in this case, there's really no small step. I mean, it's not, it's not a big step physically. It's just, and I think that's one of the, with the appeals of it is like, if someone's listening to this, like I was listening to you for two years or so and not doing it, like there's a certain point at which you just like effing commit <laughs> and decide and then, and do it. And it's, it, it is a, uh, you know, a life changing yeah. decision. Yeah. And no, I would absolutely, if you're not already dousing and you're listening to this, I would, I'll at least recommend giving it a try. You know, it's, um, just give it a whirl. Whether you believe the, the, the uh, you know, the science behind it is exactly as it is, or whether you believe the spirituality and the faith ideas behind it or what it is, it doesn't really matter. And um, the proof is kind of in the pudding here. It, it works. It 100% works. Um, so just try it. Even if it's for like a, a couple of weeks, every day for a couple of weeks and see if there's a palpable difference to the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you respond to cold, the way that you respond to stress and fear, and maybe the awareness that you have of your body. I would attest that it's difficult not to become acutely aware of your body when you tip five gallons of cold water over your body every day. Right. And at the very least it will turn you like me from uh, a morning grouch into somebody who actually gets up and gets things done. There you go. Well, I think we more or less covered that. (laughs) Thanks again, Howie, for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please take a few minutes now to give us a review on iTunes. This is probably the best way of helping us get the word out. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future guests and discussion topics, please contact us via www.ncsystema.com or email me directly at glenn at ncsystema.com. That's glenn with two n's at ncsystema.com. We welcome your feedback. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training. <laughs>